0: This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you.
1: Welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance. I am joined today on the Equip Podcast by a very special guest, Mr. Jacob Boyd. Jacob, welcome to the Equip Podcast.
0: Thanks for having me. Good to be here.
1: Absolutely. Okay, so before we go any further, Jacob, just so people listen and know who you are, many will know if there are members at Cornerstone, but what do you do at Cornerstone? What's your role? And how long have you been doing that?
0: I am the worship director, worship pastor here at Cornerstone. So largely what I do is I seek to pastor our people through gathered worship. What that looks like is I have a team that I work with of other worship leaders on staff, production leaders, and really our aim is to lead clear and compelling worship gatherings that help point our people to Christ and help them worship them. It's awesome. I've been doing this for about four years, kind of different roles and capacities on staff, but I've been here for four years at Cornerstone.
1: Awesome. Okay, so our subject today actually is all about how we plan a worship service at Cornerstone. So, as people walk in the doors, they have the benefit of experiencing, I mean, your fingerprints on a lot of things. You, Nicole, the whole team do an incredible job, Jacob. And there's an intentional way we do that. And so, I thought this is a little kind of a fun chance to pull behind the curtain. Why do we choose the songs we choose? Why do we sing in the order we sing? What are some of the things that we do there? But before we get into the nuts and bolts of planning a service, which we're going to get to. I want to start with this question. We say we prioritize, it's like one of our top core values, that we want to be a gathered church. Right, that right. something about getting God's people together, we think is a big deal. You know, mm-hmm. there are house church movements, and we understand the necessity of some of those in some places in the world. But at least in our North American context, we see a high priority to gathering, to worshiping, to hearing God's word. Why does gathering the church
0: matter? Like, why is this a big deal, Jacob? First, I think of maybe a historical reason that we have for it. So Christians have been gathering to worship for as long as they've been Christians. If you look in the book of Acts, whenever Jesus leaves his spirit and then he ascends, Christians actually would gather in synagogues with other Jews they didn't go off and do house churches immediately. That was actually sort of a byproduct of being forced to do that. So they, they actually carried out their belief in Christ as the Messiah in the context of continuing to meet with believers in the synagogue. Now there was some dissent there and that's actually why house churches began was because they were forced out of the synagogue. So we see a historical precedent for it. Believers have been gathering together to worship for as long as they've been believers. But I, I think, uh, There's a lot of places in scripture that would push us toward this. My favorite actually is Hebrews, Hebrews 10. I'm going to read a little bit of that. So Hebrews 10 verse 19, it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. With a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold to the confession of our hope without wavering, since He who promised is faithful. Let us watch out for one another, to provoke one another to love and good works. And this is the important part not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So there's a lot of Theological language and stuff in there, but the point is because Jesus has made this possible by his blood, by his sacrifice, we ought not to neglect the opportunity to gather together to worship him in the way that he's made possible.
1: It's awesome, it's a great flyover. So, that gives you a baseline biblical historical theology. We could go way further, but that's the foundation of it, Jacob. a so great, great there. Now, let's get into Let's assume the priority of the gathered church is there. Different churches look different ways when they gather. And so we're not trying to say our way of gathering is the only way any church can rightly gather. Right. That, that's not our heart. That's not where we're at. However, we do have a way that we've, we're trying to go about it intentionally to be faithful in our local context with our local church. So talk to me about how you plan some of the gatherings at Cornerstone. What does it look like for your process of putting together a service on Sunday?
0: I think there are three primary mechanisms that we think through. So when we're planning services, we we want our worship to be a response to what God has said and to who He is. So worship really actually starts with the Word. So because that is true, we want to prioritize thinking about our gatherings around what the word of God is leading us toward in any given morning. So you've led us to do this actually, Mark. We have monthly preaching meetings where we we gather and we we hear from those who are preaching in in that month. And I'm in that meeting, Nicole Farley, who's an incredible worship leader, she's in that meeting as well. She's on staff. And that's where we can all kind of get on the same page and get a sense of what's what's the the preaching going to look like in the next month. So then from there and then maybe some informal uh, offline conversations with whoever's preaching whoever's leading worship on that given Sunday they would they would sit and we all kind of have our own process but mine is sort of this this spiral of of prayer and getting in the text praying some more throwing some ideas out there praying some more and I'm sure you experience that a little bit when you preach but it's this sort of spiraling toward clarity process where I'm drilling down and I'm trying to just get a good working draft that is going to help us focus around and then respond to what the word of God is leading us in in that morning. So that's kind of the second mechanism is like personal private planning and then third, we actually have a weekly planning meeting on my team where we gather and we'll look at that working draft and we'll just poke holes at it and we'll ask questions and we'll at that really at that point we're really like working out all the the nuts and bolts the administrative type of things that are very important to helping make sure that that service has kind of the desired effect when we come to, to lead that before our people on a Sunday morning.
1: Hmm. It's interesting watching the process happen internally, right? Because I see that a lot of people think, well, what you do is you pick a few songs and then hit play. And I'm like, well, there's actually a good bit more to it than that, because you're thinking about how do we call the congregation to worship? So yeah. th- we have we have tools. So talk about so what are some of the tools in your tool belt, even beyond songs. We're going to get into song selection, but like, what are some of the tools in your tool belt that you're thinking uh, these are things I use to lead the gathered church to rightly interact with God?
0: Yeah, one of my one of my favorite ones. We'll actually we'll use it this Sunday is uh, a Puritan prayer book called The Valley of Vision. There's just something about. <laughs> This sounds weird, but old dead people, I'm sure you agree with this, that they just had a way yeah, with, a way with yeah. words that we don't anymore. So the Valley Vision has all these prayers. So we're, we're talking about, we're looking at Jonah 3 this weekend and the mercy of God. And so I spent time just reading prayers in the Valley Vision. And I, and I was just asking the question, what would be a great prayer that we could read as a church that would help us respond to the mercy of God? So we're going to actually sing a confession song after we hear from Jonah three, but then the, the prayer from the Valley vision is kind of going to serve as, as a, as a, as a assurance of the pardon that we have in Christ following um, the realization that we have sin, that we do need the mercy of God. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's one of my it's favorite great. tools right now that we used on Good Friday. We're using this weekend that that I spend some time in.
1: It's, it's a, it's a powerful thing to realize you know, we've used value of vision. We've used corporate readings. Even you mentioned some of the gospel liturgical forms underneath it, where we we, we kind of have this idea in planning a service that we're we're singing the gospel story over people every week, whether we realize it or not. We're introducing them to this big God who's great and becoming yeah. into an awareness that. We don't measure up to his standards, but then that there's an assurance of pardon in Christ and forgiveness that leads us to hope and rejoicing and renewal. And we think about the gospel in how we form our worship. We think about, you know, very old forms, even that liturgical form. We didn't make that up. I mean, the church has been doing that for a really long time. We just are innovative in how we're trying to apply that in our day, in our context to be a fresh new song sort of expression of our heart to God. So let's talk about songs in that. Jacob, how do you pick the songs that we sing? Do you have just like this, I I, I imagine like a gigantic list of every song you've ever sang and you just go through it every, what does that look like for you? How do you pick the songs we sing?
0: I think the, the guiding phrase that our team has been using recently for lots of things with our services is clear and compelling. So we want the elements of our service to have both of those things. So especially when I'm thinking about song selection, I want the songs we sing to be clear and compelling. So clear in the sense of theological, doctrinal clarity, like there's, we're not, we don't want to muddy the waters of our faith when it comes to what the Bible might say about who God is or what the gospel is. We actually want to just present clarity in the things that we're singing. At the same time, there are a lot of very clear songs out there that from my in my opinion, they aren't very good. <laughs> they're just, they might be hard <laughs> to sing. They might be not interesting to listen to. Because God isn't just a God of truth. He's a God of beauty. And so we want to present both those things to people that we want to give them clarity, but also we want to give them something compelling, that they like to sing actually, that they enjoy singing, that there is going to be stuck in their head as they leave church. Because that's going to help them continue to rehearse some of that theological and doctrinal clarity that we're, we're hoping they would capture. So that's how we select them. But then at in any given season, we're trying to have restraint in the pool of songs that we're pulling from. So the general number is about 45 songs that we'd have in a pool. 30 of those songs are going to come and go. They're going to be songs that Maybe they're popular right now that we're finding are just the church is latching onto universally, and we feel like it would be great to introduce them to our church. But then probably there's about 15 of those songs that we would call sort of core classics to who Cornerstone is. And a lot of those are hymns, but then a lot of those are also songs like, Oh, Praise the Name or Man of Sorrows, songs that here at Cornerstone and really in the church in the United States, we've been singing for years and years, and we believe that we're going to sing for years to come. Uh, because they hold a special place for our church.
1: Yeah. I mean, some people ask me what some of those are. I mean, Man of Sorrows, In Christ Alone is one yeah, for us right, that, right. you know, that comes up. You, if you've been around Cornerstone, you've heard us sing, Greatest Thy Faithfulness or Amazing yep. Grace. We just sang, Come Thou Fount. Again, they are things that we think will last beyond our moment. And so yeah. we're, there's an intention to that. Now, what about the 45 song number? Why 45? Give some insight into that because there's thought behind that. Yeah,
0: there's probably nothing magical about that number, but I learned that from from actually Austin Stone uh, Church down in Texas. That was a principle they had. And what I've found experientially is helpful about that is our people actually have an ability to learn the songs we're singing. Because it feels like, and I see this in people's countenance when I'm watching and I'm leading worship, is that maybe week one of doing a song, You know, you have some people in a room and they're sort of stumbling over the words, they're trying it out. And then maybe week two, they're getting a little more confident. It's not till like week three or four, that I feel like people are able to get in this like autopilot sort of mindset with a new song, especially where they can actually participate, which is super important and sing along because they're not just there to watch us. We want us to be congregationally singing together. So Mm -hmm. keeping it to that 45 songs actually allows us to do that. And actually allows us to have a bank of songs that we believe our people can come to know and be familiar with.
1: I noticed in my house, Jacob, I really do with my kids, oddly enough, they, so (laughs) this is a fun fact about me. I don't know if it's fun. Uh, Anyone who works at Cornerstone knows that I wander around the offices singing or (laughs) humming all the time. I don't know that I'm doing it. It's just like, (laughs) it's a thing that I'm doing. And my, I've noticed my children do this. Um, they don't know they're doing that. And so I will notice those 45 songs are really making it in. When I hear Owen kind of as he's doing algebra, he is humming the songs from Sunday. And I think that's an awesome thing. It's part of the power of music. We, I preach a sermon every week with the knowledge that 90% of it, I, I mean, people are not going to remember the sermon by phrase. But you're putting songs into people's heads that years from now, they're going to pull out and use that truth to carry them through a hard season. They're going to sing that truth I'm working forward. And I just think, what a privilege to put God's truth into God's people that you have.
0: Yeah. Amen. Yeah, totally.
1: So, okay, I'm, I'm going to ask the This is like a, not a gotcha question, but it's a trickier one. So when we wrestle through picking out songs, we know we're picking songs from places and sources too. And so one of the things we've talked about is, okay, so you have songs that come out of a church movement that might be far more charismatic than our church or a song that comes out of a church that later there's a person who wrote it and that they're scandalized. Yeah, How do you sort through, like, the songs we pick are we thinking we won't sing anything that comes from a source like this how how do we work that through jacob
0: i think that we've sort of with the elders we're all in agreement here that we want our songs to stand on their own merits their theological clarity that they're compelling like i was saying if we if we get into a spot where we begin to judge content based off of the merits of the person that created that content, I think we'll find that there are very few things that we can actually interact with. So, so one of my favorite examples when thinking about this actually is, it's not a song that we sing here, but it's a song that the church has sang for hundreds of years, which is A Mighty Fortress is Our God, written by Martin Luther. It's one of the, one of the, the main prominent figures of our faith in the Reformation. One of the sad things about Martin Luther's life is that at the end of his life, he actually, he hated Jews. Like in writing and in the things he said, Like he, he was very, very vile and um, just angry and bitter towards Jews. So should we, should we look at that and should we say, okay, everything that Martin Luther ever wrote, even the songs that he wrote, they're immediately thrown out. I, I don't think so. Now I, I can see how people on both sides of this would come to different conclusions and say, "Hey look we, we don't we don't want to endorse on any level this this organization or this ministry. I, I think that's that's fair for people to do that. I, what we've decided here though is that we want to judge songs off of the, the merits of the song itself
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, Luther's a great example. I mean, one of the most important books in my life has been um, John Calvin's Institutes. Uh, which is, I I think, peerless in theological reflection from the Reformation period. I mean, Calvin endorsed the drowning of Anabaptists, you know, actually presided over it. And those are like, in terms of my faith as more of a Baptistic evangelical, those would be like my spiritual forefathers in a certain way. Yep. And yet I would see John Calvin's work and not think, I think it's time to burn the institutes. We got to throw it out. I think there's a lot of wisdom in saying, what are the merits of the thing I'm looking at? Is this true? Is this right? Is this good? Is this lovely? And then thinking on those things. And so it's a great reflection there, Jacob. So talk to me about right now at Cornerstone. Some of your key driving priorities when you're leading the gathered church, And maybe even just some areas where as you're leading us in worship, you want us to continue to grow as a body as we gather to worship.
0: Mm, This is going to be fun. So I mentioned the words clear and compelling. Those have been two sort of for our team and for myself, really helpful things. But recently I've been thinking about a third word and that, that word's consistent. So I want to be clear. I want to be compelling, but I also want to be consistent. And so what I mean by that is I want to be consistent in my commitment to, to have us just lead our church toward Jesus week in and week out for a decade. Because I don't think actually we're going to see lasting change in our people as we gather and worship over the course of five weeks, but I think over the course of five years, 50 years that's when we're that's when we're really going to see transformation and change happen. So, yeah, I just want our team to be not in the game of like wanting to see very flashy, impressive things happen on Sundays, but be really okay with just the consistent, normal rhythms of just trying to be faithful to our people. So clear, mm-hmm. compelling, consistent. Those those are those are three really important words for us right now. Another word that I think through is is I want people, I want our people to participate in, in corporate worship. So there are, um, (laughs) there's, there's these three metaphors I heard a while back from a guy. Um, I think his name's Isaac Wordle and he talks about not like Wordle, like the game it's, it sounds the same, but the creator
1: of Wordle, the one (laughs) that
0: everybody's playing. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it sounds similar. (laughs) He talks about, there's three different ways that we could posture a worship gathering. We could posture it as a, as a lecture hall where people come to, to learn something. We could posture it as a concert hall where people come to be entertained, or we could posture it as a banquet hall where God's people come to together feast on the goodness of God, the table that He has set before us. And I think I resonate with that. And I think the scriptures actually would call us toward a similar posture that when we're coming to worship. We're not just coming to inform our minds. We're not just coming to enjoy something with our ears. But we're actually coming to corporate worship because we view it as a lifeblood for us. We view it as a daily bread for us that week in and week out, we come in weary centers, all of us, even the people that are on stage, we come in weary centers and we need the gathering for, our, for just to revive us as we head back into the week. It's so, so important to the health and the well-being of the local church. And if you want to jump in and, and speak anything on these, oh, I'm man. just going to keep going otherwise. but
1: it, that Jacob, that one just resonates to me. We've used the phrase, we, there's different prayers we pray and things we do before the services we meet with the team. And one of the ones that I pray most often is, God, I'm not coming as someone who's full, but someone who's hungry. And I'm yeah, coming yeah. in the spirit of a beggar who wants to tell another beggar where to find bread. Yeah. I, I found Come the on. living water. It, I good. think of the woman mm-hmm. who met Jesus at the well, right? Yep. Went back and said, I need to, I found the one who can give me the water of life.
0: Yeah. And so I
1: want to just say with the psalmist, taste and see that the Lord is good, not just that he's true, but that he's good. And I yeah. don't want you, st- you just to know it. I want you to taste it. And so I just love the banquet metaphor. I think it's mm-hmm. rich yeah.
0: biblically. I agree. Yeah. And the whole thing with participation, I think there are, I want, to, I want to affirm our church. I just am so encouraged by the way our church has a sense of, of eagerness and expectation. I mean, especially our college students, they set a pace for us when it comes to this, of being just very engaged with what's happening on a Sunday morning. And I'm, I, I'm so encouraged every week to lead worship at Cornerstone. I also want to continually call our church higher and higher and higher. I know you do this, you, you do as well because I, I don't I don't want us to live dissonant lives. And what I mean by that is that if we're going to laugh at a comedy club, and we're going to shout at a football game, and we're going to jump onto our feet when our kid is crossing the line at a track meet, I want us to have a similar level of of physical and mental and emotional zeal when we come to corporate worship, and to just continually challenge ourselves to be growing in that. So, I mean, on our team, I want us to with our volunteers to exemplify this. But then also we try to be intentional with the way that we, we talk about this in our gatherings. So participation.
1: Even even I think of the, the choir there, Jacob has been a cool thing. In, yeah. Why did we put oh, a choir in? Yeah. <clears throat> we put a choir in because we wanted to model. What does it look mm-hmm. like for God's people to worship? Yeah. So this is you in front of you. This isn't a yes. group of professionals. This is just that's a group right. of people who love to sing, who love Jesus. And I think that's been a really cool example of that.
0: Yeah. Man, can we talk about the choir for a second? So, Nicole Farley, this is just this has been her thing. The vision at the beginning is that, yeah, we wanted the, the people of our church leading our church in worship. And so, what I love in our choir is that we have college students. We have people who are part of IFC who might be from Uganda or Nigeria. We have people who are older who've been a part of Cornerstone for two decades. I mean, we have generations, the the representation of the body, leading our church in worship. It is it is incredibly powerful for me. I mean, you probably see this if you're in a worship gathering. You see me turn around and look at the choir a lot. I turn my back to the congregation. I look at the choirs because I, I need to turn around and to be led by the choir in worship myself. So yeah, yeah oh, absolutely. I love
1: it. I love it. I love it, Jacob. Well, Jacob, there's so much there. Man, that is a wealth of rich Uh, just reflection on what we do when we gather. And so I'll give you any final thoughts that come to mind for you as you're just thinking for our church, praying for them, thinking about what you want to see in our gathered worship, and then I'll close this up in a second. But any final words from you, Jacob?
0: Yeah, I think I would love to um, encourage our church to continue to um, expect God to do great things in our gatherings. And one of the ways I think that we all can take a step in this is that we can um, view sort of that drive into church or that, that commute into church as a time to really begin to prepare our hearts for worship. We have such a finite amount of time together, 65, 70, 75 minutes of time together every single week. That's it. And so, I want us to optimize that time to make the most of it while we do have that time together Together, And so, I want to just gently just encourage the people of our church, myself included, everybody on staff, that we would uh, prepare our hearts for worship weekly as we come in and really expect that God would do amazing things in our life and then just consistently commit to a process over years that we would continue to do that, knowing that God will transform us mm-hmm. and change us in the process.
1: Yeah, I love it, Jacob. I want us to enter in with the spirit of Elijah, Mount Carmel, right where he bring brings this incredible altar that he's mm-hmm. built. I think of yeah. each worship service like that. We've built this altar for the Lord, but only God can truly send the that's fire right. Of that's his, right. His presence through His Word by His Spirit, and so we do what we can. And Jacob, I gotta say on behalf of the church, you, your whole team. You build some real beautiful altars. I mean, the talent God's given, it's not something where we just rejoice in the gift. We rejoice in the giver as we watch your talent. It's just so full of joy for me coming and seeing people use the gifts that God gave to serve the body. Mm -hmm. And so it's a beautiful altar. But at the end of the day, if the Lord doesn't send the fire, it's it, it's that's just right. wood, right? That's right. Yeah. So Amen. That's what we're seeking after is His presence as we gather to hear from His Word, to encourage His people and to lift Him up in word and in song. And Jacob, thanks for all that you're doing. And thanks for joining us this week on Equip. So much good stuff. I hope that you took something out of that that's going to help you again to live a more faithful life for Christ. Jacob, again, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me.